Welcome to MEND, Life at the Seams. I'm Amy Day. And I'm Annie Fricky. This season, we are fanning out beyond the local cannabis community. We are looking forward, going broader and deeper to ask how we can redefine our wealth and the value we bring to our world. Toward that end, we're borrowing an idea from the world of permaculture and the eight forms of capital and applying this framework to the stories that we unveil. We are highlighting folks who are using what resources they have, things like time, creativity, skills, knowledge, or beauty to enrich the communities of which they play a part. We'll also be looking at ways in which we too can bring what we have to the table, fostering the changes we wish to see in ways both big and small. So welcome to the conversation. bringing value to the world. If you like what we are doing, have enjoyed these stories and the direction we are headed, please consider contributing to the work that we do by helping us flow some of our social and intellectual capital into the realm of the financial too. We really enjoy creating this show and getting these stories and ideas out to y'all. It also does take quite a bit of time preparing the topics, researching, gathering interviews, doing the interviews, cursing on my crappy internet, editing the interviews, which takes way more time when we have to use crappy internet, keeping the website up to date, that credit goal goes to Amy, Ah, and getting these episodes out there into the world. Thanks, Annie. To keep this project moving forward, we've jumped aboard the Patreon train, where you, our beloved community, could go and sign up to be our patrons in this project. Your support is greatly appreciated and will go towards helping these stories make their way out into the world. To find out how you can help us in sustaining this work and get some nifty rewards and kickbacks as part of your patronage for as little as a dollar a month, please head over to patreon.com backslash mend podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash mend podcast. We thank you for being here and for helping to keep the pedal moving as we do the work of reconnecting here at MEND. Life at the Seams. Imagine walking down a crowded, busy street your eyes buried in your cell phone and the unsettling news of the day, scrolling through Facebook posts belaboring one obstinate opinion over another, your thoughts percolating with lists of to-dos. People pass you, bumping shoulders without making eye contact, when you hear the whistle of a tea kettle. You look up to see the warm wooden interior of a white minibus and a sign that reads, Free Tea. Inside is the thing you most need right now, something you haven't had all day or maybe even all week. Genuine human interaction, absent of monetary incentives. A place to sit with others you've never met and make connections you never considered. A man named Giuseppe pouring tea for whomever enters, 
a man who knows relationships to be of the highest value and speaks on the importance and necessity of a relationship-based economy. Your feet, moved by a desire so innate you cannot name it, carry you to the threshold. You enter. Welcome to Edna Lou and the Free Tea Party. So would you mind just kicking off and telling us a little bit just about <laughs> what what is this project? What is it for the uninitiated, for the, the unlucky soul that has yet to sit and have a cup of tea with you? Um, what is this project that you do? How long have you been at it? And what's been the evolution of this project? Yeah, well, um, well my name is Giuseppe Spadafora. And I've been traveling uh, full-time on the road for a little over 12 years. And uh, during that time, I've been hosting free tea parties, which is this kind of weird thing that I stumbled upon accidentally. But basically, uh, I love reclaiming public space or anywhere really where there's people and opening the doors of my short school bus, which is basically a mobile free tea house. It's like a little comfy woodworked living room that you might stumble upon in a random town or city or hiking trail or surf spot or wherever there's people and um, have a free cup of tea. And the idea is really to provide people with a completely non-monetary experience as a way to facilitate genuine human interactions. Um, And of course, you know, genuine human interactions and connections and bonds between people um, culminate into community. So I kind of think of it as a, think of it as a community building project. Mm-hmm. And how, do, I mean, so what, how did you get started on this project? I mean, so is it just, I mean, what, was there someone, what, what, what kicked off the initial impetus to begin down this road? I mean, like 12 years is a pretty big, you know, that that's a lifestyle at this point, <laughs> you know, you, you, you've been <laughs> yeah. fully to it. So yeah. Did you know it was going to be like that when you first stepped into it? Oh, like, can you? No, I, <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I was, you know, honestly, uh, I like to tell people that the free tea bus um, really started because of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to, I basically, I graduated from college and I moved to Los Angeles, but I was living in my pickup truck at the time. Um, and I was working full time as a video editor sitting in front of a computer screen. And, yeah. I was pretty much, you know, I was pretty much not making any money because that's what happens a lot in Hollywood when you're trying to get your foot in the door. And I was working, you know, 50 or 60 hours a week. Um, And I, after about three months, we finished the rough cut of the documentary I was working on. And uh, my work hours dropped to like 30 or 40 hours a week, which was all of a sudden I felt like I had free time. (laughs) Um, But but at the same time, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any community. I didn't know anyone. Um, and everywhere that I went in the city, all of my interactions revolved around profit maximization. You know, I go to the grocery store and people will come up to me and say, or, you know, I, I buy, try to buy some food and I'm trying to get as much food as I can for my dollars. And the store is trying to get as much dollars as they can for the food. And, or I go to the bar, which is what you're supposed to do when you're 21, 22, like I was. And, uh, and all of my interactions with strangers, I mean, it was, it was, you know, girls coming up to me, hey, you want to buy me a drink? And then you buy them a drink and they walk away. 
Mm. And, you know, which is a not very genuine human interaction. And, and that happened to me multiple times. Um, so I just started going down to Hollywood Boulevard after work. I was working, you know, not too far from Hollywood Boulevard. And, and I would open the tailgate of my pickup truck and pull up my camp stove, put out a couple of camp chairs and cook dinner. And inevitably passersby would ask me what I was doing. And um, I would just say, well, I'm, I'm making dinner. Would you care to join me? And I, you know, I'd always cook a little extra and, and uh, people would sit with me and eat with me. And it was so beautiful because I started having, well, genuine human interactions. And I started having all kinds of people, different people sitting with me and each other. I would have, you know, gutter punk street kids sitting with thugged out dudes from South Central or, um, you know, Japanese tourists with, uh, you know, a gangster with street names tattooed on his face. You know, people of all different kinds who were, you know, sitting around and, and, and to keep those interactions going after dinner, I would just put the kettle on and make tea for hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, and all of a sudden I started having my basic needs be met, you know, these basic human needs that we, we don't, we talk about a lot about food, air, shelter, water, and all these things for, um, for basic human needs. But a lot of times we don't talk about, um, basic emotional or social needs. And some of the things that I was lacking were genuine human interactions, community, being recognized by my community, um, feeling like I had purpose. And so all of a sudden, all of these basic needs started being, started being met. And, um, and it was so interesting that I found that when I gave and when I shared, it's kind of the opposite of what we're taught in society. It's, well, if you give and you share and you don't get something explicitly highly calculated in return, then you're losing. Um, and really what it showed me was that the, kind of the opposite was true in this case, where the more that I shared, the more I was actually gaining. Yeah. It's interesting too, just hearing that bit about, you know, you, you know, so much of your work day and your work week in life was caught up in, um, in a screen essentially. And I just, you know, I keep hearing and, you know, you know, listening to all these different things about, you know, our, our very connected world and how, you know, we have so much access to each other in this virtual way that we've never had before. And yet, like you said, you know, we are, we feel more cut off. We feel more disconnected. We feel more yeah. alone and isolated in ways we never have before. Um, so I love that, you know, yeah, the reclaiming kind of the, the analog space, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all these people these days claiming to be these these digital nomads, you know, working on the road and traveling and whatever. And I, I've kind of have been claiming the idea of being an analog nomad, <laughs> being <laughs> kind of away from trying to get away from the screen and uh, participate in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and I think the phone thing is interesting because I think a lot of it is really um, humans, all animals really require bonding. Like that's one of our, our basic needs. And if we don't have that from people for, um, then we often seek, we look to drugs or to devices or screens. And it's actually much easier to find bonding. It's easier to, to, to get it with a screen than it is with human Mm -hmm. beings. Cause with human beings, it takes work. Right. Right. Um, And with a screen, it's pretty much instant gratification. So yeah, the T-Bus is kind of a, um, it, you know, started before the whole smartphone age. And, but it's really become a, a really good uh, moment for a lot of people who stumble upon it to take the time to get off their device.
devices and connect with strangers. Mm-hmm. Do you think, you know, because we were talking about the culture and like you said, you know, the, the going out and having a couple of drinks after work, that's typically what we do in this culture. We've kind of traded the tea time for go have a few beers at the bar. Do you think that what is accomplished over a glass of over a cup of tea could that also be accomplished over beer or wine? Or is there something superficial about putting your, um, you know, kind of dulling your senses a bit? You know, that's a hard one to say. I, I'd say that there's there's plenty of connection to be had over beer and wine. Um, I think that the big, and, and I don't know if it's any more or any less than a cup of tea, but I think the, the big difference between going to the bar and, for instance, having a cup of tea with a friend or on the tea bus or something is, um, the fact that one of them is a monetary experience is highly calculated and one of them is a non-monetary experience. Mm-hmm. And in the, the, the depth of connection, you know, the way that traditional human economy worked was that, um, gifts, it was essentially a gift economy, but not, it wasn't indiscriminate gifting. Um, it was gifting, it was sharing. Um, and the, that sharing is offering someone uh, a bit, little bit of your vulnerability and that person can either reciprocate or be grateful and that st- creates or strengthens a bond or um, they can, you know, kind of be a jerk and take it for granted and not reciprocate and whatever. And that that's like destroying a bond or not allowing a bond to be created. And so going to the bar and getting a drink, which is like this highly calculated interaction of buying and selling things, I mean, yeah, buying your friend a drink at the bar kind of is reminiscent of of the gift economy in a sense. Um, but the more, the less calculated exchanges are, the more genuine they have the chance to be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I could afford it, I might have a free <laughs> homebrew wine bus, you know, I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, there, there's definitely also something to be said about the interaction and the things that are being shared being personalized and being genuine and, you know, one of a kind kind of thing. Well, I think some people also, this is another question I had about, um, I mean, because we had talked in our other conversation about, uh, I think you, I believe you said that you were an introvert on on some levels. I would definitely say I'm an extrovert and the thought of like, you know, standing there on the side of the road and trying to pull strangers in to have a cup of tea with me is just (laughs) terrifying. Like, how do you, like, where does that come from? Like, like that just seems really brave to me. Yeah. Well, you know, I I went back to Hollywood Boulevard a few years ago um, and I was actually just blown away at how brave I must've been when, you know, when I was 22 years old and I just started cooking my dinner out there because it's a really, I mean, it's, there's a lot happening and a lot of really different kinds of people and um, you know, all all kinds. And, and um, I, I was actually impressed if I can say this impressed with myself at that age for being able to do that. And, um, and I think part of it back then was, you know, being pressed and being, being pressed like this basic need, but not being met. And so, you know, maybe when sometimes when our needs aren't met, we're a little more brave to do things that we wouldn't otherwise Mm do. Um, And then the other thing is, is that now with the T bus, this bus is, it's, I've created this world 
and it's my home it's but it's also the t-bus and it's like the outward expression of my inward self it's um there's a really strong ethos has gone into building this bus and um it 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 is very much a space that i feel comfortable in so i can literally pull up to a city street anywhere and i'm home and Mm -hmm. that allows me i think to be a lot more comfortable with inviting the entire world into my house um yeah it's it seems to me this thing of like you know the clear i mean because you know the clearer you can get right on like kind of your big picture why then it seems like the what and the how becomes a lot more enactable just and because and it's just you know hearing you speak about kind of um you know it's you know this is not just something you you started doing just a few months ago just to try it out and you know just it sounded like fun you know like you developed a very strong ethos around this offering um just to circle back on that like because when we when you were talking about you know you know what can you have the same communal uh experience right just you know sharing a beer and it it just seems to me i mean like what you've done as far as you know offering tea it's like you've created a very inclusive space i mean like because you know anytime alcohol enters the picture right you have it's exclusionary right you know there's going to be people who have to refrain from that for a whole multitude of reasons and so all of a sudden you have shut the door on a segment of the population um and it's so i think i love this medium of tea really i mean because in some ways it seems like i mean because what you're doing is so much bigger than tea right but this is just this is the medium that is bringing about kind of your mission and your 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 work in this world right um Can you can you speak a little bit to maybe some of your you know your 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 luminaries inside of this because I would imagine at a certain point you know there 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 has to have been some frustrations and challenges you've come up against inside of this I mean you're doing something that you know is still very counter to the dominant culture um, so who who has informed your path as you've continued to move down this road. Uh, literally and figuratively, pardon that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I have to say that um, probably one of uh, the most impactful people that I've drawn from uh, is also someone who was a full-time traveler, and that is Peace Pilgrim, who um, she started in the 1950s, but basically walked across the United States for like almost 30 years. Um, she gave up all her name all of her money, um, everything she owned, all she had was a pair of shoes and her clothes, a blue tunic and a blue pants. And, and that her shirt said peace pilgrim on the front. That was what she went by. And, uh, you know, the message on the back changed over the years. Um, but basically she was this hyper charismatic woman who walked with a really simple message of peace. And she walked all over the place. She fasted until she was fed. She, um, walked until she was given shelter and, um, but was really well kept and, and just a shining light. You know, when you, when you talk to her, there's some documentaries, uh, on the internet about her and I I highly recommend them to anyone, but it was just something as so simple as the act of walking, um, that made her message and, and her message was utterly simple as well. Um, that, that really made it super effective. And, 
Um, I struggled for years trying to find some complex way to make great, you know, create some kind of change in the world um, until I realized that I'd already found this thing, which was so utterly simple. And almost everyone who came and interacted and left, left on a higher note. Um, and that's just making a cup of tea for someone. It's so simple and so impactful. And that's why I loved about peace program. Cause she's just, I don't know, super amazing in that way. Very inspiring. Well, and that kind of brings me to, um, this whole, the, the phrase relationship based economy. And yeah. I read that in your blog. And the first time that I read it, uh, I just thought about how in our culture that we would put, we would give that role to female. Like that's typically in our culture that the whole nurturing of relationships and, and in that realm is a very uh, female oriented position. And so I'm just wondering if that ever comes up for you, if you ever notice resistance from people or if people kind of question your role. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely people who think probably think it's weird that a man is hosting tea parties. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's definitely a cultural phenomenon, you know, where the nurture, nurturing of relationships is uh, decidedly a female trait. Um, but one of the, the awesome things about relationship-based economy is that um, the idea is that, well, A, that relationships are the highest form of value and that's both relationships with people which is you know community as well as with resources the things we use and consume um and so in relationship-based economy it kind of draws on this idea in permaculture from permaculture where um objects are not just objects they are also the relationships that they hold with other things and so um our culture is really good at atomizing things for instance gender roles right where you know this idea that well men are only this way or men are not this way or women are this way and women aren't this way or whatever it is we've Mm -hmm. created these really yeah strict ideas and roles of what and so western culture really atomized all these things into hyper-defined spaces which aren't necessarily true um right well and i'm just wondering if you have to work harder though because i mean we can say i mean we can think beyond the ba- the boundaries of our culture and know that it's not a male female thing but i think that uh, a lot of times perhaps women would be well i think people would generally feel safer um sometimes i mean like i said you know if, if they uh i don't know how i'd react if a strange man i didn't know offered me tea <laughs> on the side of the road yeah. i'd be much more inclined to accept it from a woman so yeah yeah, well, you know, we're definitely very much trained to not take anything for free from a stranger in a white van, which is definitely what I am. And uh, I'm I'm definitely a stranger in a white van. So, uh, yeah, I mean, regardless, there's a lot of, I think, um, cultural stereotypes that I have to overcome with what I'm doing. But, but that's kind of part of it. And actually, one of the cool things is that um, there are people who think it's sketchy but i i find that i have um that there are for whatever reason definitely a lot more women are attracted to the idea of the free tea bus than men i don't know why that is maybe because it's, it's like culturally ingrained tea parties and the nurturing is the female thing um but i think that um almost uh, almost anyone who comes and has an experience on the tea bus whether male or female um, has a similar response in the sense that 
there's something so deeply human about relationship building, about sharing, about um, nurturing and creating the space to nurture relationships um, and using gifting as, as a way to do that, that um, no matter who it is, people, you know, people find this, um, uh, it really tugs on, you know, what it means to be a human being for a lot of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it, you know, it doesn't really matter that I'm a man in a white van <laughs> trying to give away something. Uh, so I, I know we talked about this last time and you, and you had mentioned that, you know, one of the, this is one of the number one questions that you get because we do live in a very commodified world and we want to know like, yeah. what's the, what's the, you know, the, the profit model on this or how does this work exactly? Yeah. So yeah. Without delving what, too far what, into what? that. Yeah, well, I'm kind of into profit minimization, you know. Kind of, <laughs> so how do um, you, how do you fund this? How yeah. is there? Yeah, do you get donations. Yeah. Do you what? It what does that look like? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give. There's there's two breakdowns. There's the theoretical breakdown and there's the, the actual uh -huh. breakdown. So the theoretical breakdown is that um, the question I prefer to ask myself is how do I not fund this project? So. We've kind of created this cultural idea that what you need is funding to do all of these things and that money is the most valuable thing in the world. Therefore you need it for everything. And that's really, it makes sense that that's everyone's number one question. Um, but uh, for 98, 99% of 99.8% of human history, uh, money didn't exist. And so um, the way that people had, needs met was they had relationships with their community and relationships with the resources that they use and consume. So a lot of what's gone into building the T-Bus and to create kind of this lifestyle and, um, and, and to support this project is building relationships. So um, for instance, this is getting into the physical realm. So the bus runs on recycled vegetable oil, which I get for free as a waste product from restaurants it's from deep fryers. Uh, the energy for this bus comes from the sun. I've got solar panels. Uh, my refrigerator is solar powered. I've got a wood stove for heat. I gather my wood for free. The hot water for the engine is heated by waste engine heat and waste solar power um, or biodiesel. Um, <clears throat> the, all of these things that uh, I'm also a really, really avid dumpster diver. Um, I've gotten to the point where I take more out of the trash than I put in, which it's kind of liberating in a sense. And a lot of it's building materials for building things. And also a lot of it is food from grocery stores because, you know, we throw away 40% of our food every day in this country. Wow. Which is, uh, which is crazy. And, yeah. um, I mean, just, uh, I, I don't want to go deep into it, but next time any of y'all are walking by a grocery store dumpster, just take a peek in it and see what kinds of stuff is in there because, um, it's amazing. And, um, it's amazingly sad is what it is. Um, and then, and then the money, and then the money side of things. I, I do have to make somewhere between four and ten thousand dollars a year to live. I'm usually spent. Yeah, I'm usually about six to eight thousand dollars a year. I'm spending, and I do that. I'm so fortunate. I get to probably about ninety five percent of the work that I do is within my moral framework. So I'm helping someone install a solar array on their van, or I'm um, building something out of salvage material for someone, or I'm helping someone get their basic needs met in some way, shape, or form. I'm fixing things. I'm doing auto mechanics for someone, or I'm working for an organization that does really awesome environmental work, or um, you know, a band that I really appreciate. So you know, basically, I fix and build things, and I shoot and edit video sometimes, and um, 
but like I said, profit maximization is not a has not been a goal for me. Um, and so I've been really blessed to have so many of these relationships with people. You know, I always say making a living is having a relationships with the things that make me live and the people, you know? And so I'm, I don't know. I feel so blessed because everywhere I go, I help people and people help me. And it's just this really amazing non-calculated, uh, I don't know, reciprocity that occurs. Yeah. Well, I love how you said that when 95% of the work you do isn't is within your moral framework. I think what a, what a great way to, to judge what it is that you're doing and if you should be doing it. I wanted to touch on briefly um, because we do have kind of, you know, a permaculture element to this season. One of the things I loved was on your website, you had three simple phrases to define permaculture, taking care of the planet, taking care of the people, sharing the surplus. And I thought that was a beautiful breakdown and easy for the layperson to understand. <laughs> but um, yeah. so and maybe you kind of touched on it, but uh, the mobile permaculture is what um, is also the yeah. phrase you use. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, well, permaculture is often practiced in kind of an agricultural sense. Um, and so and and a lot of what permaculture is about is systems, seeing things, is relationships. Um, it's about um, utilizing natural laws and systems to you know increase efficiency and to get as much output as, for as little input, allowing nature to do the work basically. Um, and so a lot of the T bus was designed and built on some of these principles. I, I mean, other. Other than some of the things I touched on, you know, the bus is made from 99% of the wood in here is reclaimed, uh, 75% of the hardware, including screws, plumbing, latches, fixtures. I mean, it's all, you know, quote, waste, which in permaculture, I'm more in nature, there's no such thing as waste. And so, you know, in, in mimicking nature, um, you know, taking things out of the, the waste stream, um, I, you know, is permaculture in essence, although to begin with, we really shouldn't have those waste streams. And I get think from the permaculture mindset, um, those things would, you know, those that waste would have place, places to go and wouldn't be waste. But then also I did a lot of design work where I utilized like, for instance, hot and cold. So I've got my water tank. It's a 40, da- 40 gallon freshwater tank. I've got a compartment that's, um, that's on top of the water tank and it acts as a cold storage. So it uses the thermal mass of the water tank to maintain a more consistent cooler temperature for things I want to store, like my backstock of herbs and teas and canned goods and potatoes and, and stuff like that. And then I have a a warm zone in the bus, which is um, where my hot water tank is, where it's, you know, radiating a little bit of heat out from it. It's the exhaust from the fridge and it's the wood stove. And that's, that's an area where if I'm, it's really cold, I can put my ferments. I brew a lot of kombucha and ferment a lot of vegetables. And so if I want to keep things alive and, and happy, then I can put them in the warm zone when it's really cold out. Um, and so, you get yeah. to share a lot of this technology with people as you travel around, right? Like, you, yeah. You on, yeah. So you're sharing that knowledge. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, and I, I give, I do, I end up getting invited to a lot of places to, to give talks and a lot of schools and colleges and, and stuff like that. But actually what I'm doing right now 
is I've been avoiding all of these people who have been asking me questions. Um, and I'm in the desert writing a book, which is called the T-Bus Factory Service Manual. And it's a guide uh, for small-scale, mobile, off-grid, low-cost, DIY, earth-friendly, and reclaimed living systems. And it uses Edna Lou the free T-Bus as an example. Mm. So, yeah, it's a big book. <laughs> so when and I'm giving away for free. Oh, <laughs> so it does, it does, um, hearing you say all this, you know, it sounds, it, it's, it's lovely and amazing. And I think it's one of those things, the thing that comes <laughs> to my mind is we're always like, well, that's good for him. You know, like he's a single guy. Yeah. He, ha- he can <laughs> get out on his own. He's decided he doesn't, you know, need or want all of the kind of, you know, trappings of modern uh, you know, consumer culture, good for him, but you know, everything changes once you have a family or once you get married or, you know, bring in all those traditional, um, you know, uh, success markers or whatever you would want to call them. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that person? I mean, yeah. is there some version of that available to a family to, um, to, you know, to a couple, to someone with a dog? Yeah. I mean, like, what does that look like? In your experience, yeah. Well, that that's a great question. Um, you know, I I do accept, and I I just want to preface any of this with, I definitely accept the fact that I am a very privileged individual. I am a white middle class male from America. It's really easy for me to be carefree and independent, and I you know there's a lot of resources at my disposal. Um, but in in regards to family and partnership, I have a partner. Um, her name is Allie. And she travels with me uh, uh, six to 12 months of the year, depending on the year. And, and she has for the last five years or so. Um, and honestly, it's amazing. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Being on the road with another person, totally doable, 100%. Um, and we get along really well. It definitely helps that she's a relationship counselor. So, mm-hmm. um, But in terms of families... Uh, I've met a bunch of families actually out there. I was just at um, this event called Schooly Palooza, which is a bunch of people with school bus conversions who met out in the desert here in Arizona. And there was at least four or five families there with kids who have school bus conversions. They either live full-time in their bus or they are just starting out or they're part-time. And um, so there's, there's a lot of people and families. I've seen some videos on YouTube of families of five or with no families with five kids in their school bus conversion traveling. Um, so it's definitely not undoable. Um, it's just, you know, obviously a, uh, a, a commitment thing and, um, and research and, and a resource thing as well. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the ethos uh, that I feel like the T bus is about is that it's definitely not, like the emphasis is definitely not this like mobile traveling thing. I know there's a big like hashtag van life movement and it's all about this movement and traveling and being on the road and, and, you know, carefree, whatever, um, <clears throat> which, um, you know, is interesting. Uh, but a lot of, I guess what I am about and, uh, and the bus is, it's not about, it's not about being mobile. It's about cultivating community through sharing. And so no matter if I was stationary or on a bus, um, that's, I think the main, the main idea and message and, and build and, and that building relationships 
you know, are, is super important and to have relationships with all these things that we use. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it can be easier in a mobile situation because I'm not like following building codes and like, right. I, that's, that's the big thing I think about when I think about, you know, making a home base somewhere is like building codes. I, I don't know how I would get around those things because <laughs> the things I want to make and build, they're not, not I think it's not also, safe, but. it's easier to accumulate stuff also when you're stationary because I've, I've, you know, done the traveling thing at times my life and it's just i don't know there's some there is something so liberating about just always being moving and you don't you don't get so attached to things you know you don't have a closet to put it in and then it sits there for a couple (laughs) years and then you're like well it's been there for so well yeah and that's the thing too is um you know it's really easy in the bus to to over to have too much stuff you know there's this rule which is well my my buddy says Stuff will expand to fit the space provided, but I actually think it's stuff will expand to just slightly outgrow the space provided. <laughs> and uh, so being in a bus definitely makes you have to be really conscious about what it is you have. And also being a person who has dedicated their life to sharing, inevitably, you know, a lot of people share things back with me, which, you know, is a blessing and a curse because I, I, I end up with lots of things. Um, <laughs> But the whole idea, which I, I really love, I'm really avid uh, promoter that of not only to give gifts, but that gifts are meant to be given. So that if a gift if has if you it's outlived its usefulness, or it's not really something that you need, or someone else could you know use it more than you, then mm-hmm. gifts should definitely be gifted onwards. And they actually you know um, there's a great book called The Gift, and it's all about traditional human economy and the gift and sharing. And that gifts actually, um, you know, gain in value when they're gifted and continue to gain in value when they're regifted, um, but become stagnant and actually lose value when they're you know hoarded or stashed away and people aren't able to use them or appreciate them. Right. Nice. It just it makes me just um, think of the oh, sorry. So my, my daughter just had her sixth birthday and um, we're really, really, really trying to, to downsize. Like it's amazing <laughs> for a family and it like lives out in the woods and we think, you know, oh, we live so simply. Y- yeah. <laughs> That's a nice little story we tell ourselves. We're like going through our house, you know, we want to move out of our house and we want to like go live in our barn. Like that's the dream right now. And it's like, it means we need to get rid of a lot of stuff and so you know my daughter is already at this age conditioned like okay well a birthday means certain things right like everybody's gonna give me (laughs) you know even though my closet is completely full of stuff that I you know ignore most of the time anyway and so just having to have (laughs) conversations with a six-year-old like so here's the deal like you know for everything you bring in that means that you know your parents probably have to go work and spend time away from you so that they can afford to give you these things like would you prefer what would you prefer like you want your parents to hang out with you or would you rather have some more stuff and i mean (laughs) and put that way it makes sense but it's just really interesting i mean just even in that instance you know how much you have to kind of fight to move against the dominant culture that's like kind of Mm -hmm. working through you um without your permission even because we're just so conditioned to be like yeah yeah you know abundance it means more more of everything Mm -hmm. right i think that um the abundance thing is is definitely a mindset you know Mm -hmm. more than as long as you have enough 
and you're happy, then you feel like you're in abundance, even if you don't like have a million dollars or whatever it is that people might think is abundant. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I feel so much of the time, I feel so abundant in and uh, never, there's never a time that I don't feel like my basic needs aren't being met. Nice. Um, which is, which is really nice, but you know, that's a lot of that is, you know, hard work to you. Yeah. I would, this path is not, you know, I, I think everything we do that, you know, comes from that kind of like deeper place within us, right. That asks us to defy the dominant culture to some degree. What do you feel like you've had to give up anything in order to stay on this path? I mean, not necessarily, you know, physical possessions, but I mean, um, what have you had to, you know, ideas about yourself or, you know, other, other paths you could have chosen? Do you, do you feel like you've had to give anything up in order to, to walk this path? Well, the ironic part is, um, you know, I have some people have made observations to me, which is, what is this? Here you are traveling around the country in a bus, always temporary you know, visiting all these places, but, you know, obviously you're not there for that long. You're, you're not, you know, you don't have that really depth, like strong community. Like here you are like espousing the ideals of community, but you're like this, you know, often solo traveler with, you know, it's like rootless wanderer. And, um, and I guess one of the biggest things that I have given up, not totally, but a lot of is my, my own community, which I do have really strong of, of, of there are several places, uh, you know, my hometown in Friday Harbor, Washington, um, as well as, you know, uh, there in Arcata, Eureka area. Um, there are a few places like this where I have really strong, awesome community and great roots and, but places that I know I can come back to years later and I'm still gonna, you know, have those people have the friends and the family and that, um, but I do have to give up a lot of that, that daily, um, long lived, super deep community that, um, I've built in and, and had in, in a lot of my life to be out on the road and to be traveling. You know, I, I spent the last, um, four years off of the West coast. I traveled the West coast for like eight years up and down serving free tea. And so, um, the last four years I've been out in other parts of the country and, having to rebuild those relationships and create new deep, meaningful relationships at the expense of not seeing all these wonderful people that I care so deeply about. Um, mm -hmm. But it definitely drove home the point to me personally and reinforced this, that idea that relationships are the most valuable thing in the world. And um, it was a lot harder to be out there in other parts of the country built recreating a lot of those relationships and not even really barely be able to succeed in that short amount of time. Yeah. Are there are there moments or conversations over the last 10 years that you can think of that that really stand out to you that really moved you or just really inspired um this you know what you're doing it just kind of you know made sense like yes this is why I'm doing <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Um yeah there's there's definitely been some moments. Um I was serving tea in Seattle um, and this 
it was a, kind of a drizzly day. And, uh, you know, my now partner, Allie, showed up. At the time, she was just, we had just met. And she had showed up, surprised me with, and she brought a bunch of cinnamon rolls to a tea party. <laughs> and uh, this this homeless guy showed up, and he 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 just kind of came on, was obviously in a really bummy mood, and uh, young guy, uh, you know, uh, in his in his twenties, um, and just kind of was like, uh, I'm trying to get five bucks for this shelter and I, I'm just, do you guys have five bucks or, you know, whatever. And just wouldn't look anyone in the eye. And I was like, I was like, I was like, why don't you come in and have a cup of tea? He was like, what? And then, you know, Allie is like, here, have a cinnamon roll. And there was a, you know, there was a bus with, you know, maybe five or six people. And then, and it, it was really great. So this fellow came in, he started drinking tea and eating a cinnamon roll and people started talking to him and chatting and asking him questions and he just started sharing some stories and what, and, and, you know, one of the big things that he shared was that part of the reason he was homeless was because, you know, a year prior, his wife and child had been in a car accident and they had died. Oh my God. And he, you could see in his interaction, the more that people spoke to him and looked at him in the eye, you could just see this weight lifting off of him. And every, every minute of the interaction, he just started raising his head more and looking people in the eyes and speaking with more awareness and confidence to the point where he, you know, he had come in as this really kind of downtrodden head down, um, you know, guy. And to the point where when he was leaving, he was, I, you know, I have this, this uh, gift and take area, which I can explain, but essentially it's a money jar or it was a jar at that time. It's a drawer now but anyone can put in and anyone can take out. And I was like, I was like, well, here's this money jar. People put it in it when they have excess and people take out when they're in need. You should take some money if you need it. And he was like, he was like, oh my gosh, I cannot, I can't take any money from you guys. What you guys, what you guys have given me here is more valuable than any dollar that I can take out of there. He's like, I, I just, I can't even accept that from you guys. And, um, of course, everyone in the bus was like, what? No, take some money. <laughs> and, uh, and kind of, you know, forced him to take some money. And, you know, I think he got his five bucks that he was looking for. But it was, it's interactions like that where all that he needed was, a gen- was some genuine human interactions. That's the thing that he needed most in his life right there at the moment. Actually, someone gave him... Someone gave him a phone number to call because for the holidays, there was someone that was hiring lots of temporary workers for the holidays. And, and you know, Trevor was, and basically he was just fed a bunch of wonderful things, uh, among them tea and cinnamon rolls. <laughs> um, and it's definitely interactions like that that, that, that um, are really special to me. And, uh, and that's, um, that's why I love doing this. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what would you say to, to those of us who are, you know, maybe at a similar age as you, but for the last 10, 12 years, we have been more following the dominant narrative. You know, those of us who, you know, kind of waking up at this 
piece of our, this season of our lives and looking around at some of the, you know, the excess and some of the unconscious values we've taken on and looking around and saying, this isn't really, this isn't it, you know, like, I don't know when this happened, but somewhere along the lines, I kind of became another a-hole American consumer to some degree. Um, And so, I mean, so we're, we're in mired in it to some degree, but we want to start making that shift. We want to start being a part of this larger cultural, you know, ecological solution. Like, what do you say to that person that is, is maybe overwhelmed at this idea of shifting to such a degree, you know, maybe isn't quite ready to go live in a, live in the T bus, but maybe wants (laughs) something that feels impactful and meaningful and builds relationship in this way. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I can, I can only speak from the, the areas that I'm, I really am highly active in which, um, a big, a big, big, big part of it for me is is encouraging people to figure out how to get out of debt, mm. um, even if it means like digging in deeper to this world that you don't want to be in. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that stops people from feeling like they can um, achieve some of the things they want to do or have the time. I, I always, I always, I find everywhere that I go in this country. I find a lot of people live in what I call time poverty, Mm. which is essentially people not having time to do the things that they really want to do, whether it's be an artist or an activist or hang out with their children or be with their community. And so figuring out ways to give ourselves more time to do these things that we love. And a big one obviously is getting out of debt. Um, And then also um, I really encourage people to share and to start cultivating relationships in their community that revolve around non-calculated sharing where um, you're giving something to someone because you want to build a relationship with them or because you want to deepen or strengthen a relationship with them. And the more that we share with each other, the more that we become interdependent with each other, the more that we're able to help fulfill each other's needs and the less that we are have to focus on those pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're so used to paying for all of our needs with. And then the other half, you know, obviously half of relationship based economy is, is relationships with people, but the other half is relationships with resources. So um, investing, you know, it's, it's people are like, Oh, it's so expensive to put solar on the house or to, you know, uh, do a vegetable conversion or, a, um, you know, so expensive to do all these things that are, you know, eco-friendly or whatever. But, I, I, from experience, I can tell you that making that investment early on, if you're committed to it, is a long-term investment that ultimately gives you freedom because you're not paying an electric bill or you're, um, you know, growing your food or doing whatever it is that you've invested in to decrease your reliance on money and increase your reliance on yourself and your community and your family. And I know that this is all like, you know, really big stuff to a lot of people, but, um, I don't know. I just relationships, relationships, relationships. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Yeah. Relationships that will free you. And that will, you know, we need community. That's, that's the number one thing we need is community and to share things. I mean, share a lot more, you know, share a, yeah. you know, let, lend people things, you know, buy things collectively. There's a great book. Oh, what's it called? 
it's a great book that's all about like the legal framework of sharing and so it's like how people can buy like a group of friends can all buy a car together or mm. a piece of land or like what are and how do you come up with the good written contracts and um, different ways to um, to share things so that the financial burden isn't too, as great. Well, I was looking at the uh, the last question that I had and I brought it up um, when we talked before <laughs> and I realized so it's from that book that I actually have not read, but a friend was telling me about it when I told her we were going to be speaking with you. And the book is Three Cups of Tea, uh, One yeah. Minute's Mission to Promote Peace, One School at a Time. Well, so one of the, what I, the beauty that I love from that is the kind of the saying, the first time you share tea, you are a stranger. The second time you take tea, you are an honored guest. The third time you share a cup of tea, you become family. And I was just thinking that this is actually our second time that we've had tea together. <laughs> you I'm said you'll be... The third time could be in person. <laughs> yeah, I know, because you'll be in Humboldt, right? Yeah. That would be so lovely. Like, we could have tea together in person. <laughs> so I just, I, I thought that was very sweet. Yeah. And well, also, I just, do, I, I did have a question about that. I mean, with your years of experience serving tea would you are there are there trends or traits that you notice about like the person that stays for one cup of tea or the people that you know come and sit for hours and I mean it makes sense that you know the longer you're sitting with somebody the closer you get the more you get to know them yeah um I'm just wondering if if you notice that there's a willingness and a reluctance or a reluctance to different people and yeah, well, you know, the super reluctant people just won't stop, which is fine. Yes. Yeah. They get, you know, no cups of tea. They're like more than a stranger, <laughs> I guess. Um, but people who do stop, you know, and the people, the people who, anyone who stops is curious unless their friend dragged them there. And, and it's, what's really fun is that well, there are moments like uh, where people don't stop, like, um, because, you know, I've had people, you know, people walk by free tea, sketchy. <laughs> and, and then, and then later walk back when the bus is full of people and it's happening and then they stop and they have this experience and moment and then their mind is blown and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I didn't like want to stop here. Um, and they have this really amazing experience. Um, and, and then the people who stay, you know, for, and keep getting more tea and more tea and more tea. Well, eventually they have to leave because they've got to go to the bathroom, but then they <laughs> come back and, um, and it's really cool because a lot of those people are people who are out there. They're seekers. They're people like myself, the people who are seeking and looking for, um, well, looking for what the answers are, what the, how to, how to view the world, how to live their life, how to whatever. And, the tea bus is not about telling people how to live or what to do. I mean, other than cultivating, you know, relationships, um, it's about giving seekers or people that are willing to look and experience the opportunity to experience something different and different point of view. Um, and those, the people that stick around are the people who are the most open to, to a new experience, which is beautiful and wonderful. Um, and it does create a level of depth that, it, you know, just someone who stops and has a cup of tea and walks on, they're not as interested than, you know, maybe they stay a stranger. But honestly, the people who I've had 
and have had over and over and over again for tea. I have people who are like family who are like that people who, um, I mean, literally starting 12 years ago when I first started serving tea, there's people who became regulars on my tailgate and, um, and who are like family still to this day, which is wonderful. But a lot of times too, is it, a lot of the tea bus is really also about allowing other people to cultivate interactions with each other and not just, you know, me, you know, making all these relationships with people. It's, I don't have to, I, I don't have the capacity to have a genuine human interaction with every single person that comes for tea. Right. But you're creating that space so that other people can. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we, yeah, this, it's been a pleasure both, both times that we got to sit yes. down and chat with you. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to read more about where you are, what you got going on, um, and, you know, yeah. uh, donate or a- any of that? Where can they find you? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, first place, check out freeteaparty.org. That's my website. Um, I have been keeping a blog on there for like 10 years. So there's lots of fun stuff. Um, there's also a share page there, which is plenty of both monetary and non-monetary ways to support the project. Um, I don't accept monetary tips and donations while serving tea. So the only place if people do want to financially support the T bus is, is on the website, but there's also lots of other fun things that you can share with the T bus on there as well. Um, also, uh, find Edna Lou on Facebook. Edna Lou, the T bus is a person on Facebook. It's Facebook mm. forward slash free tea party. And then also on Instagram at free tea party. Mm. Um, it's all linked from my website. And then I really just encourage people to come find me, come have tea with me. And, uh, I'm doing a West coast tour this year. I'm in Southern California right now, kind of on the California, Arizona border. I'm going to be from spring to fall traveling from basically San Diego to the San Juan islands in Washington. So kind of an eight month tour, I think up the West coast. Well, we will come find you when you're in Humboldt. Yeah. I look forward to it. I'll be be at arts alive. Definitely at arts alive in Eureka. Perfect. Giuseppe, yeah, thank you so much. This is really, we just, yeah, thank you for showing up twice with us. And twice, you are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I just really appreciate you guys wanting to have me on your podcast. Um, it's been such a pleasure, and I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And um, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm super happy to share it with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And it's perfect timing because I just ran out of tea. The year began with tea. And what a fitting way to conjure up all that would befall us. All that we might wish for and dream of and create with these two humble hands. But before we could summon it, before we could reach out into the ether of the only what may be and climb toward a hoped for beginning, we must first sit inside the stillness and cradle the warm cup between our palms. We must first cozy up together and listen to the silence and the certain timbre of awakening that ensues whenever two or more devoted souls are gathered. Across this simple offering, inside an ancient ritual, beside the eternal stream of wit and wisdom and honey laid in conversation, first you must set the table 
A simple plywood, tailgate, back door, stoop, stool, blanket, offering will do. Heat the water till the whistle gives off its siren wail. Paint a sign in your very best hand and extend the humble invitation. Won't you please sit down? Won't you join me here? Won't you take this endless passing moment to gather in with me for but a spell? To hold a cup inside these hands and exchange a conversation. I give this freely. Your payment is your presence here and it is so needed. Before you rush back out into the dizzying storm once more, let me simply pour for you the warmth of human kindness, brother, the first nudge of a connection, sister dear. Let us step into this gracious pool together. Let us drink heartily once more at the great well and tell of all we find herein. We hope you have enjoyed another hour or so cozying up with us once more. If you'd like more information about Giuseppe Spadafora and the charming Edna Lou, the free tea bus, hop on over to the website at freeteaparty.org. It's truly an eclectic and delightful place to land inside the vast chasm of the interwebs. So if you have a moment, I highly recommend you check it out. Stay tuned until next week when Annie and I dip once more into the well of our own inspiration and ideas to talk about ways in which you, me, all of us can start similar community building efforts of our own. We're watching all around us as people decide to stop waiting for permission. Stop waiting for someone wiser, better, more educated, gentrified, or bankrolled to step up and be the change that is so badly needed in this world. We're watching kids step up, elders, the poor and the marginalized. And this is our call as well. We were made for these times. And yes, we are the ones we've been waiting for. So thank you for showing up to the conversation, pouring a glass and listening in and lending your efforts to the mending that is needed in this time and place. We are so very grateful that you're here.